Hi everyone, welcome to the Women Wired for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Shalom. You may be thinking, does the world need yet another podcast? As a physician in practice, I have been intrigued by the fact that despite our education, despite the abundance of information and advancements in a country like ours, women struggle for decades with troubling symptoms to seek help, or even when they seek help, suffer for years before they can get a resolution. It is my obsession to understand one, this culture, number two, understand how we can create health and move away from this preoccupation of diagnosing and managing disease. Therefore, one of my passions is to teach both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with the knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering the right medications, which has been presented today as our only option, as it certainly might be the only option if we choose to do nothing different. But to truly live fulfilling lives, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal. When it comes to health, there is a finish line and there is a timeline to get to it. We help you get there with a different way of thinking. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt it fell short somehow, let us know how we can improve it. Let's get on to today's podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 40 of Women Wide for Wellness. This is Dr. Chalam. This particular podcast is a little different. We're not talking about a specific disease or a disease process, but about a specific food product. My most favorite, in fact. Why should I talk about a food product? Simply because it has medicinal properties. We are going to talk about mushrooms with a guest who's well-renowned guest in the mushroom world, Jeff Chilton. So mushrooms have a lot of medicinal properties, have have been used in the East as a part of the treatment plans. Mushrooms have anti-tumor, immunomodulating, antioxidant, cardiovascular, and anti-diabetic effects, in addition to being antiviral, antibacterial, antiparasitic, and antifungal, and of course helps with detoxification and your liver's health. But here's why I found mushrooms very interesting. Not only it's one of my most favorite food item to make because you can make it as an appetizer or a soup or uh, your main dish, but actually in our practice, and you'll find this with many naturopaths and functional medical doctors, mushroom is something that we ask our cancer patients to consume at least three times a week. Because it really works as an anti-tumor agent and it does help with autoimmune conditions because it modulates your immune system. There's so much to learn about mushrooms and I know people have a distinct distaste for mushroom. And this podcast is really meant to educate you. So if you're one of those who hates mushroom, maybe you should consider a mushroom supplement. For instance, in our practice, we have the mushroom coffee, the reishi mushroom coffee, and as you speak to Jeff Chilton, he will go over the most medicinal mushroom today that we know of and the best food item mushroom that he loves. So I want you to stick around, share this podcast. And of course, if you could give us a review at the end of the podcast or shoot over some questions, we'll be happy to answer them. 
before you um, get into it, we will put make sure you get the show notes, but make sure you check out namex.com, N-A-M-M-E-X.com, Jeff Shelton's website, where you have a wealth of information about mushrooms. So if you're one of those who really doesn't want to take medicines for a lot of the conditions, maybe looking for a natural product or a natural item like food or a supplement derived from a food is the other route you want to take. So without any further delay, let's get on with this interesting conversation with Jeff Kelton. Hi, everyone. Dr. Chalam from Holistic and Integrative Center of Novi. And as usual, Marina joins me this afternoon. It's been a little while. I know. <laughs> it's been actually quite a while mm-hmm. since we've been live. And one of the reasons is we could not figure out what the algorithm changed with Facebook and Zoom. And now we figured it out. So we're here. And we have today Jeff Chilton, who is actually going to talk about one of my most favorite um food item. And I think many uh, folks who have worked with us know the two things I love. One is tofu and the other is mushroom. So we're going to talk a lot about mushroom. So Jeff Chilton was raised in Pacific Northwest, studied ethnomycology, which I'm going to have him explain what that is. And um, in the University of Washington in the late 60s, oh my God, He's got a lot of experience and started working on a commercial mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington in 1973. Who would have thought mushrooms were was a career at that time? Um, but he's obviously, he got into it very early. And I think right now what he does is he has a company called Namex. And it's a business that introduced medicinal mushrooms. Did I get everybody's attention now? is really the medicinal mushrooms we're going to talk about to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry. So he's traveled extensively in China during the 1990s, attending conferences and visiting research facilities and mushroom farms. In 1997, he organized the first organic mushroom production seminar in China. Can you imagine a whole seminar on mushrooms? You would just think these are things that they grow by default after a rain, but obviously there's a whole industry behind it. So thank you so much, Jeff, for actually uh, reaching out to Holistic Icon, because I think this is something we are very interested in. And I know we was briefly talking about how interested I am in it so much so that someday when I'm successful enough, I'm going to have in a restaurant that's called Date with the Shroom. Um, so it's going to be dates. <laughs> Such a good maybe, one. <laughs> maybe I should just uh, uh, bleep that it? out. Yeah, uh, trade market. Yeah, um, so a couple of things. What I want to understand is how do you even get into a mushroom industry? In the 1960s, I yeah, mean, you were young. Yeah, like, I mean, this is cool. What's think, going on? <laughs> who thinks about it? Well, well you know what? Well, <laughs> one of the things about about it is that. Um, in, in the Pacific Northwest, I grew up in Seattle, and, and in Seattle, we have a maritime climate. And in the fall, uh, with temperate uh, um, temperatures and lots of rain, we have wild mushrooms growing everywhere. Right. And so when I was younger, I was fortunate enough to go out wild mushroom hunting. And wild mushroom hunting is like a treasure hunt. <laughs> you go out, and you're in these beautiful forests, and we've got loads of forests out here, rivers, streams. You're walking through the forest, you spot a mushroom that is a choice edible, and it literally is like finding treasure. So 
It was really fun. When I went on to university, um, I studied anthropology mm-hmm. because I was really interested in how people uh, organize their cultures worldwide. But I still had my interest in mushrooms. So mm-hmm. I also studied mycology at the same time, which is the study of fungi or mushrooms are part of that. So putting those two together, you get ethnomycology. And so what that means is I was studying the use of mushrooms worldwide as food, as medicine, and for shamanic purposes. Mm. So all three, and and you're probably aware of the 60s, there was a lot of shamanism that was going on. <laughs> yeah, so you're yeah. at the right place at the right time there. Uh, I was indeed. And, and you know, after, after I graduated from university, you don't really get jobs in anthropology. That's so true. I went to the only mushroom farm in Washington State, applied for a job. I got a job there in 1973. It was a very large farm. We grew 2 million pounds of mushrooms a year. And I was there for the next 10 years living, literally living with mushrooms. Oh, wow. So when you say you went around picking edible mushrooms, is there a way to just say which is edible and which is poisonous when you look at it? No. Well, I mean, if you're experienced enough, Okay. You can identify them by looking at them, but that takes years. Okay. Um, so really, you, it takes a bit of study, and also there are mycological societies in a lot of major metropolitan areas where people come together, they go out, and there's always experts that are part of the societies. And what's really cool is every year these societies will have a um, a basic um, – uh, opening where they will uh, go out, they'll foray, they'll come back, they'll put all of these mushrooms out on tables, mm-hmm. they'll put the names of the mushrooms there, and then they'll invite the public to come. And so the uh, public can come and look at all these different mushrooms that maybe they've seen and actually get an idea of what that is. It's really, really interesting. In fact, the, the Mycological Society of Vancouver They also, every year, have what they call the Survivor's Banquet. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) They didn't get poisoned because they've been eating mushrooms? Yeah, and that's a little bit of a joke. (laughs) And, and, And everybody brings a mushroom dish to this banquet. Oh. It's the end of the season, and they call it the Survivor's Banquet, and it's all full of mushroom dishes. Awesome. Can you can you actually survive a mushroom poisoning? Because the ones when we learn in medicine, it usually causes liver failure. So, what kind of poisoning do you look at? Let's start with the poisonous mushrooms first. Well, okay. Um, you know what? Uh, poison. There are mushrooms out there that will absolutely kill you. And what they do is they they will affect your internal organs, and you'll end up with organ failure. Liver certainly is one of those. And and the unfortunate thing about that type of poisoning is that you don't actually have symptoms until eight hours later. Wow. Okay. And, and at that point, pumping your stomach does no good at all. And, and the key with the mushroom poisoning is how much you've actually ingested 
you know, and, and, and listen, a I lot of the, I want to be in all of them. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the people get poisoned are actually uh, first generation immigrants. They come over, they, they go out hunting mushrooms. They remember, Oh, I remember this mushroom from, you know, back in the old country. And they, they harvest it, not knowing that it's not the same mushroom. It's a poisonous mushroom. And then what they do is they go home and they cook up, a bunch of these things and eat a lot of them. Mm. And some of the poisonous mushrooms taste quite good. <laughs> and, and then they don't realize until they start to get sick eight hours later. And in general, uh, I mean, sometimes you can do a liver, liver transplant, but sometimes it's just too late. Yeah. Yeah. And usually um, cooking doesn't get rid of the poison. I'm assuming. That's, that's absolutely right. No, it's yeah. not. So, so there, there's that level of poisoning. And then there, there's mushrooms that, that have just will kind of, uh, um, give you a little bit of stomach issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and remember there's probably 5% of the population out there that has an allergic reaction to almost any food. Mushrooms are no different. What I tell people uh, with any mushroom, whether it's uh, a cultivated mushroom or a wild mushroom, is the first time you eat it, don't eat a lot. <laughs> don't eat a lot because even a regular mushroom that you're buying in the supermarket, you may find that that just doesn't agree with you. So so eat just a, a, a bit, moderate amount. See if you like the taste and the flavor, but don't just eat a huge panful. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about mushrooms in general. Why? See, to me, mushroom is food, but we're going to be talking about a different aspect of um, mushrooms. And also from a functional medical standpoint, and you know, in functional medicine, our goal is to rebuild health or focus on building health rather than disease prevention or disease treatment. Because when you have enough health, there's no place for disease. That's our take on how you build people's health. One of the things that we do is we recommend mushrooms in most of our cancer patients. So is that something that, uh, can you explain a little more about the medicinal benefit of mushrooms that um, since you, this is your area of expertise? Well, you know, um, what they discovered was that mushrooms have a compound in them called a beta-glucan. Mm-hmm. And the beta-glucan occurs in the cell wall. So all mushrooms have this beta-glucan in the cell wall. The difference is that the architecture of that beta-glucan can vary just a little bit. And, and that can be the difference between a mushroom being very medicinal and just being healthy for mm-hmm. you. And so scientists in the last 30 to 40 years have been researching beta-glucans in a really major way. And what they found out is that these beta-glucans in their, uh, whether it be in vitro or animal testing, are actually able to inhibit tumor systems. Now, when, when you come back to humans, and, and look, there, there hasn't been a lot of actual clinical trials with humans because they're very expensive, especially in terms of cancer treatments. Right. But what they found is that these mushrooms will modulate our immune system. Correct. And that means they will, in fact, uh, uh, stimulate the production of uh, NK cells, macrophages, and other immune-type cells. 
And, and what's really interesting is that in Japan, in the late 70s, uh, they produced actually a drug from one of the primary medicinal mushrooms, which is shiitake. And that drug is called lentinin. And they actually use that as an adjuvant for people going through chemotherapy or radiation. And lentinin is a purified beta-1,3 glucan. Mm -hmm. There is actually another uh, drug that has been produced from mushrooms called PSK, also produced in Japan. And, and this is also used in the same way as an adjuvant for people going through different therapies. Now, now in folk medicine, mushrooms have gotten the reputation as helping to cure cancer, but I don't look at that as, you know, I don't look at them as a cure. I look at them really as something, you know, in conventional therapies, your immune system is being absolutely torn down. So I think it's best to look at them as something that can help you as you're going through that. I think in conventional systems, when you have a disease, it's because your immune system is broken down. And so having mushrooms as a part of your diet to some degree would help. And the key thing, I think, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but with mushrooms, the main thing is carbohydrates, whereas a lot of the other medicines, we have proteins. And it kind of re-educates the immune system in a little different way when they are exposed to medicinal mushrooms. Um, I was just reading a couple of studies when, you know, I decided we're going to have this podcast and they were talking about how mushrooms actually modulate the immune system is because their advantage is majority like the beta-glucans is more in the carbohydrate uh, polysaccharides rather than we're looking at proteins for antigens. And, uh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, what's interesting is that, is that mushrooms, and, and remember that every mushroom has a different nutritional profile. Yes. So, yeah. so you can't just say, okay, this is what's in a mushroom. But yeah. in general, what we're looking at is somewhere between 10 to me, or, or, or more like uh, 20 to maybe the highest being 35% in protein. But the majority of what we're looking at in mushrooms is, in fact, carbohydrates. Uh, a big part of those carbohydrates are the beta-glucans. Um, there's also the chitin in there uh, and other carbohydrates like mannitol, which is a very slow-acting type of carbohydrate. So, so these, are, these are things that also part of it, in fact, with the chitin, and again, you, um, we sort of spoke about it a little bit before the podcast started, but chitin, um, where we know it mostly is as the shell of a crustacean. But yeah. that shell, the crustacean, is pulling together a lot of calcium to form a hard shell. Obviously, mushrooms are not crunchy and hard like that at all, but the chitin does bind things up. But all that means is that mushrooms ultimately are very high in fiber. And yes. that fiber is very important because it feeds our microbiome. So, so they, are, they are, in essence, a very high quality prebiotic. Totally. Mm -hmm. I agree. So in general, when somebody is trying to have a mushroom in terms of um, 
I, I think the biggest challenge with mushroom, which we find as a huge challenge, which I told you right before we started, is people don't like the consistency of mushroom. You know, they tell me it's a texture issue. And the other is they don't like the taste. And you said, I could tell you how to make it very tasty. So what are your secrets? Well, you know, it's really funny because you can imagine since I've been in the mushroom industry since 1973, I don't know how many times I've had people say, oh, yeah, mushrooms, they're, they're slimy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, here's here's really the key is that you have to cook mushrooms on a high heat. And you can use whatever oil or whatever it is that you fry in. But but the thing is, if you cook a mushroom on a low heat, all the water comes right out of it. And now you've got it floating in liquid. And so when you pull it out, it's not cooked properly. And it's actually, it is slimy. So what you have to do, get it in a, in a hot pan. Um, I like to slice mushrooms about... Um, a quarter of an inch thick, not too thin. And then I like to brown up yeah. both sides of that slice. And I cook them a little longer than most people. I cook them for maybe 10 minutes in that hot pan. And, you know, I'm so particular that sometimes as I'm trying to flip them over and stuff, I can't do it with whatever I'm using. I'll just go in there by hand and I'll flip them over because I want, I want both sides of that mushroom to be browned up. And then and then if I'm just eating them alone, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, and ah, oh, they are so delicious. I mean, they're just amazing. And, you know, the beauty of mushrooms is that you can use them in any dish. They go in stir fries. They go in eggs. Whatever the dish is, you can put mushrooms in there, and they will complement that dish. So they're very versatile, but please cook them properly <laughs> totally i totally agree i mean i uh, i can uh, i would make mushroom soup i would make mushroom uh, there's a dish with like with onion garlic black pepper and salt and then you can have uh, a gravy a curry mushroom curry you can have uh, which is actually really awesome and then a cutlet mushroom cutlets with potato and uh, mushroom oh, and peas good. yeah it actually is very good with cassava powder you can well, make nice yeah well and you know what what what's interesting is you know i don't know where people would say they don't like the flavor because i think mushrooms are so flavorful and so interesting the shiitake mushroom is my favorite mm -hmm. and in china they call it shanggu and that means fragrant mushroom mm -hmm. when i'm on a shiitake farm and these are very large farms the odor in the air is just amazing. It is absolutely fragrant. And, you know, each mushroom has its own texture. They have mushrooms in China that are, it's called the wood ear. And it is a kind of um, chewy, it's not a very different, but after you've eaten it a few times, I'd really like that mushroom a lot. There's another mushroom called the enoki talkie, yeah, which I is, discovered those. They're so oh good. man, and, and you get them in a package, and there's about a couple thousand of these small mushrooms because they have a long stem, mm -hmm. a tiny cap. I take those and I just strip them up into a hot pan, fry them up. They are like crunchy noodles. They're delicious. Yeah. 
put some uh, shita, uh, the what what is that uh, sauce we use? Um, Oyster sauce or sriracha. sriracha? Yes, it, it's to die for. What is the hen of the woods? Well, hen of the woods is uh, maitake. Maitake. Mm-hmm. Right. I love my talkie. Yeah, Actually, my talkies are excellent. The ones, right? That taste like meat, but they are very. They look like right? uh, coriander leaves when you cut them. They've yep. got the same shape. They're, they're very flowery. The my talkies are very flowery mushroom, and so so really, there's a lot of different mushrooms to try. The, the mushroom that I I highly recommend that you try if you haven't already. It's called the termite mushroom. No, it sounds very appetizing. <laughs> well, well, here's what's interesting about it is that this mushroom is actually cultivated by termites. Wow, that's so cool. What they, sauce they, they they grow this mushroom, and how they do it is that they grow the mycelium of the mushroom underground in the mound, and then at a certain point, and they feed on it, and at a certain <laughs> point, a big a big tall mushroom will grow right up out of the mound, and that's when the mushroom gets harvested. So it's this very long stem, at times up to 12 inches long with a nice cap on it, but it is absolutely delicious. So a bunch of termites basically will farm one mushroom. That's right. One mushroom species. They'll the farm termite this. farmers. We need to support the termite <laughs> farmers. Exactly. Termite farmers of the world unite. Oh my God. Okay. that That is new. So basically, if people were to understand, mushroom is 90% water. Yes. Correct? And the rest of it is the carbohydrates, fat, protein, and minerals. Correct. And in terms of, um, so the prebiotic comes mostly from the carbohydrates. Maybe that's why they taste good when you roast them or Mm -hmm. cook them because Mm -hmm. ultimately it's sugar. Yes. Well, there's definitely a, a umami type flavor with yes. mushrooms and and that does come from those uh, types of compounds and from the sugars no doubt and, and you know the thing about mannitol is is it's actually a um they use it in a lot of sweeteners where they don't want something that's too sweet so they'll use it a lot for uh, diabetics for example right and, and that's one of some of the studies that they've done with maitake in particular show that maitake is really good for diabetics and one of the things too about all that fiber in mushrooms is that you eat mushrooms and that will fill you up and you don't feel hungry so that's where it's really low calorie food and you know that's what was so interesting because when i started growing mushrooms back in the 70s um classical nutritionists said that mushrooms are basically a non-food oh yeah they've got a nice flavor and and they're kind of like a garnish. You can put them in things, but they're not really a food. They said that was because it was low calorie. Mm. It's, all about, it, it's all about the calories, right? Not about the nutrients. That's right. They they. It was like if if a, if a food does not have calories, then there's no value there. Right, right. Actually, this fills you up so much. There's so much of fiber. It grows your microbiome, and therefore, actually. Um, and to some degree, it's it's an antioxidant too. Yes, it really indeed. helps with repair. Yes, yes it absolutely yeah. does. Yeah, right. yeah. it's not only your immune system, so it takes away all of the junk, and so it, it's really about consistency and trying to find the best way to cook. Now, as time has gone by, you know, mushroom has gotten into the mainstream. You'll find a lot of restaurants have mushroom dishes, like 
isolated mush mushroom dishes, but we're also getting into the aspect of mushroom tea, right? Oh, yeah. uh, we have the reishi mushroom. Um, there's a whole industry that uses reishi mushroom in the form of coffee and tea. What can you tell us about that? Well, um, what I would say is, first of all, traditionally, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, that's how you take your medicine in a basic uh, liquid extract. And, and, you know, tea is nothing more than a liquid extract. And right. so so now now one of the things that happens with all these products is, uh, first of all, a lot of times it'll say, OK, this is a, a reishi tea or a reishi coffee or something like that. But how much of the mushroom is actually in there? How much of it is just, you know, in, in the industry, we have a term we call fairy dusting. <laughs> that means you put a tiny amount in and then you claim it's a reishi coffee. Um, or you have a tea product and you put a, uh, some amount of mushroom in there, but you also put three or four other, other herbs in there to, you know, to produce some kind of a flavor, but you call it a mushroom tea. Mm. So, so I think that's one of the things. That, and, and look, my, my company sells the raw materials to all sorts of companies out there that put out our raw materials uh, in their products and they put their label on it and so on. And, and, you know, I think, I think in general companies are trying to do the right thing, but at times the, any company will put out a product and it may not have that much of what you're actually looking for. So for some of those products, I would say, are they what's the medicinal value of yes. those products compared to just taking the actual herb the actual mushroom on its own uh whether that be in capsules or, or one of the ways that they uh get sold today too which i really love is when uh, it's put into a pouch a stand-up pouch so it's just the powder and my son developed a whole line of retail mushroom products for us and it's all done in a pouch because his generation loves their daily smoothie and mm, so yes, yes. You know, and, and in a sense and and you know i can't say whether it's good or bad because you know it, it's an alchemy of sorts and you wonder at times with all the things going in it uh, whether this is a good thing or not but at no matter what they're looking for uh, a healthy way to get certain things. And if that's the case, that's great. But I, I, I like the idea of actually this 100% mushroom powder. You're going in, you can kind of calibrate how much that you want to put in. And, and here's one of the things, too, that you have to remember is that in the supplement industry, they're selling, generally speaking, a bottle with 60 units in it, like capsules or tablets. And they're telling you to take two a day. Well, why do they do that? Well, because that's a month's supply. Okay. And then you go, well, I, I weigh 120 pounds or I weigh 160 pounds or I weigh 200 pounds. And we're all supposed to take two capsules? No, no, no. That, that doesn't work, you know. So, so this to me is where you really have to, when you're supplementing, you have to be very intelligent about it. And, and and oftentimes it's good to have somebody like yourself or some other practitioner that can help you, especially if you're doing it in a in a way to treat or get away from disease. Right. So because when you when you look at it in a capsule form, 
are we, uh, what exactly is in the capsule form? Is it the dried mushroom powdered or is it an extract of the mushroom? Do you extract the... Um, all of our all of our products are actually extracted, and the reason we do that is uh, primarily because of uh, the chitinous cell wall. Mm-hmm. Now, what I believe in is uh, if we can give those, for example, we have uh, um, a category of extracts where we call it a one to one, where we will do a primary water extraction on the mushroom powder, mm-hmm. but we won't throw the powder away. We'll then, we'll then concentrate the fluid down, uh, and then that fluid with the powder will go to a spray dryer, which will dry it off. We won't leave anything behind. And, of course, that's one of the things about extractions is that as you start to concentrate, you obviously can't put, let's just say, 10 kilos of starting material into one kilo of final extract. You have to throw away the fiber. Mm. So, and, and so when we have our more concentrated extracts, that's what happens. But when we, when we concentrate those, we will cook them three times. Mm. And one of those cooks might even be alcohol with certain mushrooms like reishi or chaga, where it has certain compounds, uh, triterpenoids specifically, that we can't get all of those out of the raw material with just water. So we'll use alcohol in a single step. But again, we then remove the fiber. At that point, we kind of consider the fiber to be to be actually depleted of everything. But again, when you get into that kind of concentration, we're talking about something that is a little more on the level of definitely a medicine and not like eating a, a mushroom as food or a one-to-one extracts where you're still getting all of that fiber. Yeah, so you don't have the prebiotics, but you have all of the extracts that can modulate your immune function at that point. Correct. That's right. Because, you know, the, the, um, the fiber, a lot of the fiber is actually, um, indigestible fiber that is, uh, insoluble beta glucan. So a lot of the fiber still contains beta glucan. That insoluble beta glucan will not be in our, more concentrated extracts because we've removed all that fiber and we've got all the soluble compounds out. And, and and here's what's interesting is that what they've actually determined in the research is that the soluble beta-glucans are actually the active ones and certainly the most active ones. That doesn't mean, and as far as I'm concerned, that doesn't mean that the insoluble ones are of little value. I still think the insoluble ones have value and especially in the sense of if we are eating mushrooms but but remember when we're eating food how well do we chew that right if it's something that is a lot of fiber and and there's there's nutrients in there that we want to get out well we not we might not be chewing it well enough to actually get all of the nutrients out of it but once you take the fiber you can actually sell the fiber for a smoothie well, that's possible. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And, and, and now who knows? I think it may be a lot of that uh, fiber from those extractions. It probably goes off to uh, animal feed. So they've got very healthy animals over there. <laughs> yeah, because we do anyway flaxseed powder for fiber in yes. our practice. And we could just start having mushroom fiber for. That would be really interesting. Absolutely. And you know what? There, there's a one particular mushroom. I'm not know if you're familiar with it, but it's called. Um, 
fuling, it's a, a poria cocos, and it's a sclerotia. And it grows underground. It's not like a normal mushroom. And that has as much as 80% fiber. I mean, I think it's the mushroom with the very highest level of fiber. And there's a scientist in Hong Kong that's been working with it. And he really believes that it could be um, basically produced as a fiber uh, product just for that use alone. Wow. Okay. So if I were to ask you, which is the two two types of mushrooms, the most tasty mushroom when it comes to a food product and the most medicinal mushroom when it comes to the medicinal aspect of the mushroom, which one would you say? Well, you know what? The mushroom that I really love and I think is, is really the top medicinal mushroom, and that is reishi mushroom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's what's really interesting. You know, we, we are able to do beta-glucan testing. Mm. So we test all of our products, and we've tested mushrooms now for three years. We have a tremendous body of information. Reishi mushroom um, and another mushroom called turkey tail are the absolute highest that we've measured in beta-glucans. Okay. And, and, and turkey tail was the one that I was telling you was made into a drug in Japan. And reishi is a very special mushroom because not only does it have a lot of the beta-glucans, and that's what it shares with all of the major medicinal mushrooms, but it also has compounds called triterpenoids. Okay. And these compounds are, are um, they've shown these to be uh, specific to uh, actually anti-cancer activity, also to work on the liver and cleanse the liver and cleanse the blood. In fact, when I was at a conference in China in the mid-90s, it was a, actually a reishi conference, and there was a traditional Chinese doctor there, and we were talking, and he said that reishi was his number one herb for the liver. Wow. And I thought, wow, oh, with all the herbs that they probably use for <laughs> liver, and he's calling reishi his number one herb for the liver. I, I was really quite impressed by that. So is it easy to get these mushrooms? Like if you want like reishi mushroom, you get them only in a capsule form or in the form of a food like coffee. Do you, you, do you actually get reishi mushrooms as such in a box that you can cook? Well, you know what? No. And, and, and reishi is, is woody. Woody. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like when you dry out a reishi mushroom, it is hard as a rock. It's just like a piece of wood. So reishi is one of those mushrooms where you really, it's even more than the chitin. It's, it's just like, man, this is just a, and a lot of mushrooms, especially the ones that grow off the sides of trees, we call them a conch or a shelf fungus. They are hard. Mm. You have to cut them up and boil them to get anything out of them. So reishi is traditionally used as a tea. You really can't eat the reishi mushroom. It would be literally like gnawing on a piece of wood. So it's something like the cinnamon bark, uh, pretty hard. Oh yeah, it, it's it's just like I mean, you reishi mushroom has broken a lot of blenders and <laughs> and the coffee mills uh-huh. <laughs> tried to to chop it up and grind it up. It, it is very very woody. So, no, it, it really has to be extracted, and uh, whereas the others, and, and, you know, this is the beauty of 
of the mushrooms that are in the marketplaces is you've got maitake, you've got shiitake. Um, what actually, about the portobello? Well, well, you know what? Here, here's what's interesting about portobello. Now, portobello is is this like really big mushroom cap, right? Yeah. yeah eat, okay. Which costs an arm and a leg when you get it organic, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. Find in stores yeah. too. So. Well, well, so here's what's interesting. Here's what's really interesting. Okay, are you familiar with just the the standard button mushroom? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and. and uh, sometimes there's another one called a cremini, which is mm-hmm. the button is usually white. The cremini is brown. Yeah. The button mushroom, the cremini, and the portobello are all the same species. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Yeah. It's and I'll tell you why the the button mushroom. Uh, remember, a mushroom when it grows, it starts out as just a small little what we call a pinhead. As that develops, it develops into a button. Mm. A button mushroom is just an immature mushroom. And the reason why... Oh, don't say that. To some degree, yeah, to some degree. And the reason why they sell it in that form, immature form, is that it's got a long shelf life that way. Ah. So, so, and and that, uh, that particular button mushroom, and it's called a garicus, there are multiple different what we would call varieties. So, so you can get a, a cream, a white, an off-white, yes. a brown. A and, dirty and those, gray. And then if you, if you let it grow up and mature, that's when you get a portobello. Wow. So, you, so is there a difference in the nutrients between a baby mushroom and the mature one? Well, you know what? There, there's a, a small variation, but I would say not significant. I mean, where you'd really find something like that of significance, if you're out wild mushroom harvesting and you, you found a mature mushroom and it was full of water, mm. sometimes mushrooms after they, they um, after heavy rains, they'll just get waterlogged and mm. that will just kind of dilute what's there. And, and that's the kind of thing where I tell people if we're out mushroom hunting, I say, just leave that. Don't don't even pick it. It's not in good shape to to eat. So, uh, but anyway, those that, that agaricus mushroom, all of those particular three ones, it's the same mushroom species, but it's a very very great marketing uh, endeavor. Right, yeah. right. So when you think about it, people could just buy the button mushrooms and get the same nutrients as Absolutely. a portobello. Yeah, absolutely. Why spend more on the portobello? Yeah. Now, now, you just now. save a ton of money for people right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and, you know, some people who you, maybe we'd call them a, a connoisseur or something might say, oh, gee, I like the mature mushroom. It tastes a little bit better. Well, maybe to me, and look, I the farm that I started growing mushrooms on was a button mushroom farm. It's an agaricus farm. I ate so many agaricus during those 10 years. I still really like the agaricus mushroom. It is a excellent excellent flavor and taste and it's funny because i have wild mushroom friends who go oh yeah that store-bought mushroom is just terrible and i'm like let's do a blind taste test okay (laughs) that's true (laughs) they have to work for it so yeah yeah that's right that's right so the wild was always better than that thing in the supermarket better be (laughs) all that hiking involved (laughs) so i so from medicinal standpoint reishi is probably 
the most used and the most studied and probably the most beneficial is what I'm understanding. Yes, a- absolutely. And and there's there's the 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 amount of research is so deep. They really started to research it seriously back in the 70s. Okay. So they have a tremendous body of scientific data on reishi mushroom and they know all of the different compounds that are in it. So yes, it's it's well studied. Um the benefits are all well elucidated and and I would say really again if you want to take one as a medicinal and remember you know mushrooms are what are called uh, biological response modulators they're something that are going to kind of sit in the background they will be there working for you they're they're something that that if you're out of balance their reishis and mushrooms are considered harmony herbs they're trying to help you reach homeostasis, reach that balanced position. Mushrooms aren't something, medicinal mushrooms aren't something where you, you take it today or you take it right now and two hours later your headache's gone. Yeah. yeah. That's not how they, they work. They really are much more subtle than that. So people should not expect to feel amazing benefits a week from now or two weeks from now. They're working in the background in, in a sense. I almost like to see them as, um, in a way, as uh, for prevention to some degree, and and also as food as medicine. So you're eating these mushrooms as part of your diet that is a not just nutritionally nutritionally uh, solid, but also has that other side to it that it's uh, a medicinal diet as well. Yeah, we call it health creation. Prevention means you're still talking about disease, whereas when you create health, you don't have to worry about disease because disease and health cannot stay in the same place. That's that's great. That's a, a great way to look at it. Yeah. So uh, in terms of food, um, like the best tasting mushroom, which one would you say? Well, again, my favorite is shiitake, and I just think the flavors is wonderful. And, and you know, the beauty of the shiitake is that in most places now in the United States, you can find fresh shiitake in the markets. Um, some of these others, you might not have uh, maitake in your market. Mm-hmm. You, you might not have uh, a lion's mane. It sounds like you've got a noki, which is... Yeah. Recently, fantastic. though, I don't think I ever noticed them before. Yeah, yeah. You know, enokis are fabulous. And yeah. and uh, um, and they keep well. I mean, they're in that little... Uh, shrink dry, shrink wrap package, and and uh, they keep very well in the fridge, even if you don't open it right away. Um, so I would say shiitake, um, maitake is also uh, a great edible, as you know, and and has great medicinal properties as well. And uh, um, those two, the other one, if you ever get a chance to to uh, find lion's mane, mm-hmm. lion's mane, it looks like a just a round ball. It's kind of like a pom-pom or something. And sometimes they call it that, but it is really delicious. And I don't know if you've, you've heard anything about lion's mane, but lion's mane, they've done studies with it. And it, it actually promotes what's called nerve growth factor. And that is a protein that actually stimulates the production of neurons. Mm. So what they found is that it has a beneficial effect on memory and cognition the lion's mane lion's mane yep and 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 right now uh, i mean there's a category in the united states uh, that is getting more popular it's called a nootropic 
And nootropics are anything that uh, enhance your performance a little bit. Mm -hmm. And lion's mane has gotten so much uh, um, play out there and so much written about it that now we can't even keep it in stock. It is just absolutely the most popular. But what I was saying, it is a delicious edible. And like I told you, I tell people before they even begin to think about supplementation, put mushrooms into your diet. I mean, I'm eating mushrooms three or four times a week easily. And when I eat mushrooms, it's not like just chopping up one little mushroom or something like that. You know, it's a half a dozen, 10 mushrooms, and I'm chopping them all up, and I'm cooking them all up, and I'll eat them with things. Or sometimes it's just like I've got, that's my vegetable, so to speak. I've got them right there on the plate. I mean, I'm eating them as they're cooking in the pan. Right, right, totally, (laughs) totally. So let me ask you this. In terms of buying a mushroom, what should you look for? You know, sometimes you find um, mushrooms, they look dirty sometimes. They look like they have an overgrowth of other fungus on it, right? Well, yeah, let, yeah let, me, let me talk about that a little bit. First of all, um, mushrooms, believe it or not, mushrooms are still picked by hand. Mm, there's no way. They are picked by hand. That's why they cost a little more. So especially when you look at those button mushrooms, sometimes, you know, button mushrooms, when they grow, they're, they're, what they're being fed is a compost based on straw, But on top of that compost that they grow into is a layer of peat moss. And so when those are being harvested, sometimes there will be some of that peat moss that will either be on the harvester's hand or something like that. So at times they can be a little bit dirty from this peat moss. Um, Now, um, the other mushrooms like a shiitake or a maitake or something, really I I wouldn't expect them to be dirty. But but here's here's the things you have to look for. if that agaricus, if that button mushroom looks like it is starting to, um, you know, it's a button, if it's starting to open up mm. and if it looks, if it's starting to go a little bit brown and especially if the stem is turning brown, agaricus can get attacked by bacteria. Oh. So you, you want to kind of stay away from those. Uh, shiitake is the same way, you know. Produce managers do not know how to handle mushrooms after all of these years. And shiitake, I've seen shiitake on the shelf before where I look at it and I say, this is just, this should go in the dumpster. This stuff, you don't want to be selling this. And with shiitake, if you look at the gills on the shiitake, which are exposed, if those gills start to have brown spots on them, that's bacteria. Um, If they start to be, a little bit spongy instead of kind of solid that's they've been there too long um so definitely with your shiitake there's there's good looking fresh shiitake and you learn this over time as you're purchasing them um and then of course when you buy them uh, put them in a paper bag uh, have them in the paper bag in your uh, uh fridge if you put them in a plastic bag what happens is that moisture will get on the mushroom and that's when bacteria will form. Mm-hmm. So it. that will just that will ultimately uh, create a situation of bacterial growth in that bag inside your fridge. And that's not what you want either. I would say for the for the most part, buy enough to that you know you're going to be eating them in the next couple of days. Right. Um, and uh, I mean button mushrooms will actually 
stay longer. And sometimes with the shiitake in your fridge, they will just slowly dry out a little bit. And that's okay. They dry out a little bit. That's that's not too bad. But watch them when you buy them to make sure that you don't see any brown spots or obvious, you know, sponginess or something like that. So the gills, do they have, because I've noticed a lot of the uh, button mushrooms have black gills. Are they, when you say black spots, well, well, black. well, you know what, on, on agaricus, you're, you're absolutely right. Agaricus has dark brown spores. Okay. So those gills will be dark brown. Shiitake is a little bit easier because it's got white spores. Okay. So those gills will all always be white. A maitake actually doesn't have gills because it's what's yeah. called a polypore. So those are, these pores are all along the surface of the maitake on the underside. So you really can't see that as much. But the other one that, that you should really be careful about is uh, the oyster mushroom. Mm -hmm. and, and where you really have to watch out is sometimes what they do with mushrooms now is they will put it on a, on a little styrofoam plat plate. They'll overwrap it. And then it will sit there. And sometimes they don't get it back into the, the uh, refrigeration at night or something. And I've actually seen oyster mushrooms where the, the mycelium is starting to grow off the oyster mushroom. And just really quickly, um, you know, mushrooms uh, start from a spore. The spores germinate into fine filaments that come together and produce what's called mycelium. Mycelium is the vegetative body, much like a tree or a system of roots. And then from that system of roots that we don't normally see, that's what produces the mushroom. So when we see a mushroom, that's just one part or what we would call a plant part of this organism that mm -hmm. we like to refer to as a mushroom. But a mushroom is a plant part of this fungal organism. So, so what happens is that, is that actually if you take that mushroom and if you put it into something where it's warm and humid, it will actually start to grow some mycelium again off the surface of the mushroom and i've actually seen with oyster mushrooms where it actually starts to grow new mushrooms off the mushroom mm. and when you see that all that tells you is that has been on the shelf way too long and you do free not, mushrooms? you do not want to purchase those and this gets back to the fact that unfortunately a lot of people in the produce department do not understand mushrooms very well. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, shift gears to something that's really catching on, at least in the holistic world. I know you spoke about shamanism in the 1960s, but I think even at that time, a lot was done with psychedelic mushrooms. Yes. So what right. are psychedelic mushrooms and well, where do you find them? Well, mushrooms where actually... Find, where do you find them? That's <laughs> well, you really want to know my special spots, do you? <laughs> the secret. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Canada, right? Or wait, Washington? Where are you? <laughs> well, well, here's what's interesting is that, believe it or not, in the 50s, there was a New York banker that took a mycologist with him to Mexico, and he was researching mushroom use worldwide, including shamanic use. There were actually native people back in the mountains of Mexico still using mushrooms in their healing practices. Mm. So this 
shaman or what they call in Mexico a curandera at night would take these mushrooms. She would consume them and the subject, the person who was sick would consume them. And these mushrooms basically would allow her to get a feeling, let's say, from the person who was sick and allow her to divine what was going on with this person. Mm. Now, that was that particular method of shamanism and using these mushrooms. But think about this. The fact that in 1955, these mushrooms were still being used in native healing. And, and in fact, they still are today deep in the mountains of Mexico, which in itself is just amazing. Mm. Now, now, obviously, in the 60s, there was a very big change, and many of us were exploring these states of consciousness, and mushrooms were one of the ways to do that. And, and so I made a number of trips to Mexico as, uh, you know, as somebody who was into anthropology, basically going back into these places, contacting people, finding the mushrooms down there. The interesting part to me was that when I returned in the early 70s, we found out that these same mushrooms were being were growing wild in Washington State, Washington and Oregon. And so so back then, you'd, you'd drive along, and some of them grew in pastures. Maybe you'd be driving along the road, and you look out into a pasture, and you'd see half a dozen young people out there with their heads down looking at the ground, <laughs> walking slowly through the field. Um, but, but listen, here, here's what's really interesting, is that due to uh, the government overreaction and creating a prohibition back then, which they did not just to mushrooms, but, but uh, uh, cannabis as well. Um, due to that, a lot of very interesting research that was going on was closed down. And what they found then and what they found now is that, that the psilocybin in these mushrooms can be used for addiction it breaks addiction yes. for a lot of people whether that be a tobacco addiction or uh, some other drug addiction they use it for end of life purposes for people to actually have an experience that allows them to feel uh, better about themselves and the world and they've also used it with a lot of mental illness so it, it's something that's got a tremendous potential and uh, there's a lot of studies out there now that are being published on this very subject. And I think right now it's not available as of, I think the studies are done for exclusively in certain universities and you have to go through a lot of hoops to actually be a part of the study. Certainly, and the rest of yeah. it, you just have to walk down the mountains of Mexico. And get it. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's, you know, what's interesting actually is that, that, um, from the eighties on, and, and this gets back to, we learned how to cultivate those mushrooms. So there are literally millions of pounds of those mushrooms in the marketplace today. So people have access to them. And, and here's one of the things that's really great about it is that remember, um, Back in the 60s, there was also LSD. Mm -hmm. LSD came in a pill. Uh, yeah. So it was either a tablet or, you know, normally a tablet. Well, somebody gives you this tablet. You have 
absolutely no idea other than how was it? You know, what was it like? Was it good? Was it not? So, so you really didn't know. Once mushrooms started to be cultivated, now you could look and you actually have dried mushrooms in your hand. You can calibrate your dose. You know that you actually have the real thing. So it was a, it was just tremendous change at that point in time when these mushrooms were able to be cultivated. And now for the first time, you are not like, what is it I've just taken? So something about those mushrooms are different than the edible or the uh, reishi mushrooms because they target mostly the brain cells. They have a totally different compound in, in them called the psilocybin. And, and this is a compound that, that does act in a totally different way. It's a psychoactive compound. Um, and, and that basically will, will target different receptor sites and give us a, a, an experience that is very, very profound for most people. Now, the key is, you know, these have been used also uh, recreationally, which, which it is okay to a degree, but when you want to have a profound experience, you have to be sure that you are in the right place with the right mindset, which is called set and setting. Because if you if your mind is full of, oh my God, I've got all these things going on, and you take this, what it does, it magnifies everything a hundred times. <laughs> so all of a sudden you're just like, oh my God. And you can't get this this stressful thing out of your mind. What you want is you want to be in a very peaceful, loving environment. So that when you take it, that will be the effect of it. Got it. So basically on vacation in the mountains of Mexico is the right time to have it. Can take us on a vacation? <laughs> you know, all the places. Or he'll just cultivate those mushrooms for us. Yeah, you know, you know what the, the thing to do is, is find a good space and, and with with friends and, and it could be out in nature during the day. A lot of what they do where you get the really profound experience can be late at night in a dark room where you're just, you know, very comfortable with friends. You 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 lay back, and that's how it's used a lot in the clinical settings where people yes. are in a safe space where you don't have to worry about, oh, my God, who's at the door? Yeah. <laughs> how do I use my phone? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> this has been awesome. This has been an awesome enlightenment about mushrooms. So tell us a little more about your company and what is it that you actually manufacture and sell? Well, we take we, – we grow um, – Mushrooms, we do it uh, the way what we say nature intended. We do it very naturally. Um, again, I went, I went to China in 1997 to, to have this seminar on how to grow, how to basically produce mushrooms organically, how to have certified organic mushrooms, how to grow them without pesticides. And what's interesting, China produces 85% of the world's mushrooms, mm-hmm. 85%. So, so we grow the mushrooms, then we process them into extract powders, and then our primary customer are companies that want to put out capsules, tablets, uh, pouches. They want to put it out under their own label. That's who we sell to. We, we also have a, a uh, um, product line, a retail product line that we sell strictly online. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we, we just produce the pure mushroom extract powders, and we do that as a uh, for supplement use. 
So what is your online uh, online um, uh, store? Well, our, the company is actually at Namex.com, N-A-M-M-E-X, and I've got a lot of great information there, including a 30-minute slideshow on how our mushrooms are, are grown and uh, just a lot of information. And if you want to actually uh, look at the mushrooms in terms of for supplement use, maybe you want to purchase some of those, then the retail outlet is realmushrooms.com. R-E-A-L-realmushrooms.com. But please come to the, the uh, NAMEX site. We've got so much information there for you. We've got pictures of the mushrooms we grow, lots of information, people who will really enjoy what we've got there. I mean, I mean, I really just enjoy educating people about mushrooms because I've known mushrooms have been a great food and medicine for a long time. And yeah. so it's really gratifying to me that the, the world in North America, I mean, they've known about this in Asia, yeah, but that North America is finally catching up to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I agree. So um, before we wrap up, what is the thing that you're most grateful for? I'm I'm really grateful that um, I live in a environment that is still wild. Uh, where I live, I, I've got forest outside. I live uh, with old growth growth trees. Uh, the air I breathe is fresh, clean air. The water I drink is is clean, fresh water. Um, I can step out my door and walk right into the woods and be in among giants, these trees that I live with. And I've got the ocean that's just uh, uh, two or 300 feet away from me. It's just, I, I feel so lucky to be in such a clean and pristine environment when so many other places I've been, it's not that way. But can you grow mushrooms when it's clean and pristine? <laughs> <laughs> I've got mushrooms growing here naturally on my, on my property. You know, I've actually got... Uh, some medicinal mushrooms that uh, grow here on the property. They're not the kind we sell, but they are medicinal mushrooms and have shown to be that. And and we also have wild mushrooms growing in the area as well. But it's just a very beautiful environment. And, and you know, I grew up in a city, but I'm a long way from that now, and I'm very happy that I'm not Pretty there. Nice. Is there anything that I should be asking you that I haven't asked you? No, no, not really at all. But I'd love to leave you with a with a poem. Oh, oh Awesome. Lovely. Cool. Yeah, and and this is a actually a um, ancient Chinese poem about mushrooms, and it says, uh, "Without leaves, without buds, without flowers, yet they form fruit as a food, as a tonic, as a medicine. The entire creation is precious." That is awesome. I totally agree with it, 100%. Well, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And I'm sure if there are any questions, I will send them your way. Perfect. Yeah, and we learned a lot about mushrooms. Now I'm more in love with my mushrooms. <laughs> Come to China on the farm? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're looking at doing a, a tour at some point. We'll definitely let you know. And certainly, if you ever have any questions about mushrooms, just contact me. Let me know. I'd be happy to uh, to answer them for you. Very, yeah. very much. Thank this you very much. This is the mushroom guy. Yeah, this is your mushroom guy. And, Thank you. And the website will be namex.com. Correct? Correct. That's correct. Yeah, and I'll send you a little bit of info as well. 
Awesome. And we will put it in our show notes when the uh, podcast is finally available for people to get it in their email. That's great. Yeah, please let me know because we do post that on our on our site. So we'll have awesome. a link link to that on our website. And and it's really been great talking to you both today. It's really been a true pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're ever in Michigan, we'll come forage for some mushrooms. And yeah. That sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alrighty then. If you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.